So, water baptism. Um, you know, I've been asked a number of times by folks in various situations, how do I know if I have faith? Like, how do I know if I have faith in Jesus? How do I know that I have faith? And, and you know, there, for some of us, it just settles. It just settles in your life. You know that you know that you know. You don't need explanations. You don't need anybody to tell you. But for some folks, it's, it's an uncertainty. And you're like, you know, I, I, I like it and I understand it, but I think about it, but I don't know that I have faith. And, and the simplest, easiest response that I have to that, that I've found to be true, is that true faith seeks to find expression. If we, if we look in the Bible and we see the examples of those who come to the point of faith in Jesus, there's something that follows that. There's an action that follows the faith. It's not the faith that leads, it's not the action that leads to faith, but it's that there is something that happens internally that leads to an external action, a, a change of life, a, a what do we do now kind of moment. And so that's kind of the simplest way that I can distill it down, is that you want to know what you believe, have a look at the actions. Not that your actions determine what you believe, it's the other way around. The belief is the core, and the actions flow out of that place. So, this, the way that we see it in the Bible, we see it in lots of different ways. We see one is that witnessing. So people see Jesus, they encounter Jesus, they know him, and they just can't stop talking about him. They're like, man, have you met this guy? Have you heard what's going on? This is crazy. People in the whole region heard about him. Or, or generosity in response to what God has done. People see the generosity of God, they experience that, and they're like, man, I've got to be generous. There's even, there's even one real good account of restitution. It's a nice big word, but what it means is making things right. And that's Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So Zacchaeus comes, he encounters Jesus. Jesus calls him down, goes to his house. Zacchaeus has faith and he goes, man, I'm going to make all the, the wrong things I did right. I'm going to go and pay back all those people I cheated out of money. Restitution is a response to faith in Jesus. Or, and, and often we see baptism as a, as a moment where people come, there's faith, there's repentance, and there's baptism that happens out of that, a water baptism that comes out of that. So following on from last week, at the end of our purpose series, we said that our, one of our big purposes is the Great Commission. If you've been in church a while, you would know what that means. If you haven't, the Great Commission is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've told you. So in that Great Commission, Jesus gives us two instructions or things to do. As his disciples, there are two things we are called to do, and that's to teach others. So that's a physical speaking about what, is, what life should be, teaching people to obey everything Jesus commanded them to do. And, then, and so, so that immediately makes everything that Jesus taught relevant for us. It's no longer just a book that happened 2,000 years ago or like we can pick and choose. Jesus is teaching to obey everything I have commanded you. And then the second thing he says is baptize. Baptize new disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now you might think like, why is that such an important thing? Why is baptism, you can understand like in our modern enlightenment kind of post, you know, post enlightenment Western world, we understand the teaching thing because we're all about head knowledge and about science and about understanding and like we get that. And I love teaching. I love studying, I love teaching, but we get that. And then you kind of go, and baptizing, you go, but that's just like a little bit of water and a bit of this, like what's the importance in that? But we're going to look today at why that is so important. So baptism, we understand it as, as Protestants and as Charismatics, Pentecostals, however you want to call us or label us, it's fine. Um, 
But what we understand is that Jesus has left two ordinances for us. So he has, that word comes from, he has ordained two things for us to do in remembrance of him. One being the Lord's Supper, so that's um, the Eucharist, the, the bread and the wine. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me when you meet. So the body and the, and the wine as a picture of Jesus's body, uh, the bread and the wine as a picture of Jesus's body and blood shed on the cross for us. So uh, again, a symbol of something that Jesus has done for us. And we partake in that, and it's, it's very rich in its symbolism. And for the whole history of the church, it has been something that has been central to the church, is the Eucharist and partaking in the body of Christ. And then secondly, the other ordinance that God has given us has been, we believe, is baptism. So water baptism. And that is important. Jesus modeled it. He was baptized. And then obviously we read about it, and we go through Matthew 28, where he says, Go and baptize other people. And then when we look through Acts, the book that is a historical book that describes the start and formation of the early church, we see folks believe, baptize, believe, baptize. Over and over again, there are baptisms that happen. So now some churches, some places will call those things a sacrament. So you might have heard that word before. If you, again, if you've been churched, that'll be more, that word is used more in your traditional denominations. Um, and I use that word interchangeably. So there's some... There's some things, there's some very technical theological issues that people have with the word sacrament because in the Roman Catholic Church, it operates different to how the Protestants see it and they believe it is um, sacred and it is part of salvation that you can be saved by the sacraments. Okay, so we don't believe that in this church. We are Protestants and that was the main split in the church and with Martin Luther who was the eventual thing where he came and he said salvation is by faith in Jesus alone, not by any works that we do. We can't do something for someone else and they get saved. They must believe. We must believe in our hearts. You can't simply pay or run around and you know, ten circles and give this and do that. And then you, it's not how it works. It's an internal faith thing. It's a spiritual thing. From that, there's actions that flow out of it. But faith is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. So that's what we believe. So just, but for me, I use, uh, I'm happy to use those words interchangeably for those who um, don't get caught up on it. E.P. Clowney puts it up like this. He's got a funny name, but he's a very serious guy. He says, a sacrament is a sign of participating in saving grace. It marks not simply the presence and work of God, but his application of salvation to sinners. And I thought that was such a brilliant way of looking at it, because it is not the thing that saves us, but it is the thing that we do because we are saved. So what it is, it's a picture of what God is doing for us, but it's also a picture that God has done something in us and for us. Now, in the, in the New Testament, we read of a number of different baptisms. Uh, if you were here when we went through that foundation series a while ago, you would, have, you would have heard about these and that. So there's at least five that we can look at, and they are water baptism, which we're going to look at today, baptism into the church, into the body of Christ, baptism into um, the one body, a baptism of fire, Baptism in the Holy Spirit and into a baptism of suffering. The last one, not so many people are keen on. We're like, hey, I can do four out of five, it's 80%, I'm good. I'm an 80% Christian, I'm happy. But it is a baptism that we come. When we are baptized into Christ, Christ suffered. And he said, when you have trouble in this world. So don't be dismayed or, or caught off guard when we have suffering. But we'll get to that in a while. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. And we're going to read 14 verses. So 1 to 14, it's a bit of a long stretch in, past, in, in, in the Word, but there's nothing wrong with reading lots of Bible in church. Yeah? Okay. Good. You're right to that, Patrick. Are we good? Okay. So, 
Romans chapter 6, Paul writing his letter to the church in Rome. He hasn't been to that church. It's the one letter he wrote where, one, he didn't plant the church, and two, he wrote it before he went there. Romans is one of the best books in terms of, I love it, in terms of the technical understanding of the gospel and how Paul lays it out. He's brilliant in it. Um, and here we get to Romans chapter 6. And, and one of the best expositors on Romans 6, best explainers of Romans 6, is a guy called um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said, if you want to, and they were asking him about a, a difficult chapter in Romans. And, and he said, well, if you want to understand Romans 8, go and read Romans 7. And if you want to understand Romans 7, go and read Romans 6. And if you want to understand Romans 6, go and read Romans And so on, on and on and on. So we, we tend to read portions, but it's Paul's flowing in an argument here. We, we put them in chapters, and, and we think that that's an end of a thought. And sometimes it is, but it's not really. But the, anyway, so, so go and read chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in your own time, and, and it'll make a bit more sense what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. But let's go. I'll read out of the NRV. So your, your version might be a little different. But this is what the NIV says. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Now that by no means is a very polite translation of what Paul was saying. A literal translation would have been more like, hell no. But the Bible scholars, they're nice guys and they, like, they try and put things politely in the Bible. But that's the strong language that Paul is using there. He's saying, we, you, don't be ridiculous. We can't go on sinning so that grace can increase. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, about, have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is so alive and so active for us today. I thank you that your word is clear in how we should behave and in the life we should live. Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your obedience, and for your example that we get to follow. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we come to Jesus and as we truly spend time with him and, and desire to follow him and to become like him, that we would be those who would go out into the world and do the same as he did and follow his example. We pray these things in your gracious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, 
One of the big questions we ask is, what does baptism look like? What is it going to look like? Um, we're going to be doing baptisms after the service, by the way, if you weren't sure. But if we look at the, the many different churches and the many different denominations that we have, even in the, the modern Western Protestant church, there are many different ways of doing baptisms. There's kind of two main ways, but there are a lot of different kind of ways that people practice it. I remember we were out rock climbing one Sunday morning in the Michalisburg, and uh, it was just myself and another mate, and, and I mean, we were far in the mountains in a kloof, like deep rock climbing, and next thing, there were like six or seven people around us, and they were carrying bags, and they, it just, it didn't feel great, and I was like, they weren't, they weren't climbers, um, and they were coming in, and they were, we were climbing above um, a, a river which had a pool in it, and they came, and they were coming to baptize three people, and so they got changed there, which was part of the thing, which was a bit weird, but um, like out in the open, they all got changed into, and they put on special robes, and they went into the water, and we're not going to do it this way. Don't stress for those who've been baptized. But they literally, it looked like they were trying to drown those folks. They're up and down, up and down, three, four times, splashing water on, up and down, up and down, three, four. And they, it went on, like each person went on for at least 10, 15 minutes. It was, a, it was a rigmarole. And I thought, yes, those oaks are experiencing death right now. They are getting, they are getting the full package. But it's just... You see, it's, it's just too much in the, in the thing. You're putting too much emphasis on the act. You're putting too much emphasis on the action of that thing. It is important to be sure that we get baptized and that we do it. And it's a critical moment. And, and we do it publicly because it is a very public thing that needs to happen. I'm going to get there. But there are many, many different ways of doing it. Some are more helpful than others. Now, from what I can see in the New Testament, or what I understand in my limited understanding, is that... The New Testament teaches that water baptism is a believer's baptism. So what that means is that it is a baptism that happens once you have come to a place of faith. So in other words, you, you say, I identify with Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I understand that what he has done on the cross is applicable to me. I know I have a sinful nature. There is no way for me to earn my right standing or my salvation with God. I need the forgiveness of sins that comes to me through Jesus. And faith is alive in your heart. You understand it. And then from that place, there's a baptism that happens. Does that make sense? So it's a believer's baptism. It's not something, the baptism isn't something that can confer belief on people. All right, so that's as well, best I can see the examples in the New Testament. Now, if we, if we look at the word that they use, sometimes it's helpful to look at these words. We, you know, the Bible was written in Koine Greek, which is common Greek, ancient Greek of the early days. And if we, we don't... Any, not, not many of us speak original Greek, no. Um, ancient Greek. So it's a dead language. Technically, uh, modern Greek is different to it, but very close. But if we look at sometimes those original Greek words, it can be helpful to understand what the author meant when they wrote about these things. So because there is so much argument over how this thing should look. All right. So the original Greek word is baptizo. I know that sometimes Greek can be boring, so you can just pay attention to what Seth's handing out, and it's a bit more entertaining. But... But what the word means, and, and the way that they get to meanings of words is very interesting. They obviously look at how it's used elsewhere in the Bible, and in, in the same word is used, but they also look at how that word is used in other literature. So in other ancient Greek literature, how is that word used? So this baptizo, uh, the translators tell us that the word means to immerse 
or to submerge, like our vessels being sunk. A ship that sinks, that ship is baptized. <laughs> That's the word they use, is that ship is sunk. It means to make fully whelmed or to be overwhelmed by something. Water. In other words, fully wet. I think you get the picture of what it means. It literally means to, to cover over, to plunge something under the water or to drown to death. Am I making it clear? As, as how, so that's how that word was used, baptizo. It was used that way. And obviously the main things I've just put at the bottom there, it comes from, if you're interested, it comes from Strong's Concordance or Strong's Definitions and Thayer's Greek Lexicon. Those are the two kind of big ones that most scholars will use. But what has made the use of this word so defining um, and what has really cleared it up is, is two things. One, the word was found on a pot shard in an archaeological dig in Egypt uh, as a recipe for pickling vegetables. And um, then there's a Greek uh, or an ancient Greek poet who also in his poetry also wrote this recipe for um, pickling vegetables. So he instructed the maker of the, the vegetable to bapto the vegetable, that is to dip. So dip. So just quickly dip the, the vegetable in boiling water. It's a different word. It's not the same word that's up there. Bapto, the, the, the veg in boiling water quickly. And then to remove it. And then to baptizo the vegetable in the pickling liquid, the vinegar. So to immerse it and leave it in there. So you understand from, from how the word is used in other contexts that it isn't, it isn't just a sprinkling. That's not what this word means, this word baptism. Now, the original translators, very interestingly, they struggled. So the, even into English, when the Bible was translated into English, the first time it was done in the King James, and he had moved out of main denominations. He had, he, it's when the church had split. And so he had been part of the Catholic Church, and then it started the Church of England. And the original translators into English didn't want to negate his baptism. So they transliterated the word. Instead of translating the word into immersal plunge, they transliterated it and said, here's a nice middle ground. We'll just say you need to be baptized. So it's a Greek word that's been made English, if that makes sense. That's what transliterated means. They just Englishize or anglicize the Greek word. And so we get this word baptized, which can be confusing for us. But actually, if we look at the usage, it's not that confusing. Okay, everybody got one? So what you've got on your little skewer there is you've got a, a cucumber and a cucumber. Do you see it? One happens to look a bit different than the other. So eat your actual plain cucumber. You can bring it to me. Okay, so the lighter side, the light green side, that's a cucumber, as we all know. Yeah? Like almost zero nutritional value, 99% water or something and a bit of flavor. And if you're unlucky, you buy the cucumber Sprite and you have to drink that as well because you didn't look at the label carefully when you took it out of the fridge. Well, that's a cucumber. Quite a nice thing, eh? Not bad. Cucumber's great in salad, a lot of value. On the other side of your stick, you've got another cucumber. But this cucumber has been baptized. Now, baptized cucumbers are my favorite. Especially on a hamburger. All that's happened is they've taken a cucumber, or a little mini cucumber, a variant of a cucumber, and they've baptized it in vinegar. But we've got that, we call that thing by a different name. We call that a gherkin. I love gherkins. They're one of my favorite things to eat. But the beauty is, is that if we look at those two things, without the baptism, they're both still cucumbers. With the baptism, they're both still cucumbers, but one's better than the other one. I'm kidding. It's, one, is, 
It is different. It, is, it just tastes different. It's been, you cannot unbaptize a gherkin and make it a cucumber again. It is irrevocably changed in its nature, in what it is. And that is simply through taking the original thing and doing something else to it. And, and that is, I believe, that is part of the importance of baptism, is that baptism, water baptism, is something as a response to faith, is it an ordinance that God gives us, but it actually does something to us. I believe that it is a physical change that happens in us. It's my physical and spiritual for me are the same thing. They, they happen, but we, we delineate them because we, we try and understand things. But when something changes spiritually in us in that moment, it also changes physically. So, if we look at, um, if we look at what baptisms mean, so if we look through the Bible, through the, through the whole story of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we see that baptisms always indicated one of three things. It was always either purification, initiation, or identification. So, purification, it was simply that it was shown as a, the, the priests or the Levites or even people who had become unclean through not obeying the laws or for touching things or for things they would handle would go down and do ritual washing or baptizing in water, in the river, wherever it was, and that was seen as a sign of purification. So they were purifying themselves from defilement. So we obviously understand from New Testament that sin is the ultimate defilement. So that is the thing that mars us and, and defiles us, and we all have that sinful nature, so we all need that purification. Initiation, we see it where it's making, uh, often people making the start, either a new period of their lives or a new season, and they bring that initiation about, they mark it with a baptism. It is often seen as um, initiation, it's entry into a community, so entry into a function or a, um, even in, a, in an ordination into office. So for the priests or the Levites, and they would fulfill a certain function, they would be baptized in a way, they would be washed ritually. They'd be baptized. And then thirdly, as identification. So, um, and we see this, and this is kind of the most important way for us, is but following the example of Jesus, we identify with him, his teachings, and his life and death. It is symbolic for identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection, like we read in Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, that is in there. Um, but it also, there's other pictures in the Bible that, that show us that this, the form of baptism, and, and some of the, sometimes the New Testament refers back to those things if we're unsure about them. But like the Israelites crossing the Red Sea when they were escaping Egypt, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 and 2 that that is kind of like their baptism. As they came out of slavery and into freedom, they were in the wilderness, they weren't in the promised land, but they went through the waters of the Red Sea. And that was a picture of baptism. That's how Paul explains it. He says you, you were in slavery you got free, you trusted God, you put your faith in God, and you followed him out of slavery through baptism and on out into the desert. Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12 speaks of how baptism is very symbolic of circumcision. And all the men breathe a sigh of relief because we no longer have to do that. But it is. It is a, a circumcision of the heart, a cutting away of the sinful nature, a removal of that thing, an identification that we are part of a community of faith. This is how we identify with that thing. And even as the flood with Noah, Genesis um, chapter 6 but, and, and on. Um, but 1 Peter 3 verse 19 to 21 makes that one quite clear. And he says it like this, Peter writes, he says, after being made alive, and that, yeah, that is so key, those, those four words that Peter writes there, after being made alive. You see it. You are alive already in Christ. Your faith has given you life. 
So after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge or the appeal of a clear conscience to God. The key thing, and I, and I put that, the reason why I emphasize that after being made alive is because many people will read that scripture in Peter and say, wait, hang on, baptism that now saves you. Does that mean I can be saved by baptized? No, you're taking a small piece of scripture out of context. Read the whole thing that Peter's saying. Read, read everything. He's saying after Jesus was made alive again in the resurrection, he went and preached. So the waters of God's judgment is kind of what it also symbolizes sometimes. That death is part of God's judgment on sin. And so we're saying we identify with that to the point where we understand that um, very similar to another picture you could have is Jonah. The story of Jonah and the fish, or Jonah and the whale, some of you might know it as, but it's a fish, we don't know that it's a whale. But Jonah, into the water, he gets thrown overboard into because he was being disobedient. And literally goes into the waters of God's judgment. There, okay, God saves him in a very mysterious and strange way. But it's the same for us. It's the, it's the picture that baptism is for us, is that we understand that that sinful nature deserves judgment, and it's in the waters of God's judgment that it dies. And that slavery is left behind in that water, and we come out resurrected like Jesus again, made new in life. Derek Morphew describes baptism like this. He says, baptism, or explains it like this. Baptism describes the fact that death and resurrection is the mechanism for being transferred from one kingdom to another, being given the new nature of resurrection and therefore taken out of one kind of humanity and placed in another. It is such a beautiful quote that because, you know, we often see, today we often see the symbolic as powerless. We love, you know, we love the practical, the material, and that's the, the fault of the culture that we're born into. But there is strength in the symbolism that we partake in as well. It's not just pictures and words and meanings. There's stuff in there that has implications for us. And sometimes it's hard for us in our modern Western minds to grasp that. But it is. What it is doing is it's symbolizing our taking out. We're going, I no longer identify with the kingdom of this world, but with King Jesus. He is my king. I'll follow his example. And it is a very powerful statement that we make. And... So three reasons why baptism has power, and then we're going to look at some just practical stuff on, on what it is. So three reasons why baptism has power. Firstly, baptism has power because of Jesus. So we are simply following his example into something and trusting that through that simple obedience of what he has done, he will lead us in his example in things that may be more difficult for us. But the power in baptism isn't only in you. It's it's powerful because Jesus has already done something. He's already the one who's gone and died on the cross. And so because of the already, I can live in the benefit of that power. Romans chapter 6, verse 11, we read it. Paul says, in the same way, in other words, in the same way as what Jesus did, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. The power of baptism is not necessarily in the action. It is in the one to whom it points. The second reason that baptism has power is because it's public. It may seem like a strange thing, 
But what you are doing is you are declaring very publicly and openly to the principalities and the powers of this world that I identify with Jesus' death and resurrection and it is valid for me. It's not just something I play around in and go to church and sing nice songs, but actually I identify with Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, it also has power because when later on in your walk, however late that might be, when the enemy comes and he wants to sow doubt and fear in your mind, do you really believe? Like, look at your life. Are you really a Christian? Have you ever heard those things? Like, are you sure? Like, he's going, man, you can be like, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe I am not. Did I really believe? Like, was I there? Did I, like, maybe I just got emotional on that day. He was a good speaker and I put my hand up. I didn't really mean it. But, you know, once you've done baptism. Once you've been water baptized in public, you can, when those accusations and those lies come against you, you can go and turn around and go back to the devil and go, hey, listen, buddy, remember on that day. I remember the date of my baptism. It was on my wedding anniversary. So if you, fellas, if you struggle with dates, like do everything on the same day and it just lines it all up nicely. <laughs> Birthdays, anniversaries, just put them all on the same day and then it's expensive month, but you've got it. That's how I try and do it. So the 9th of August, 2005 was the day I was water baptized and it was in a little river in the Michalisburg, freezing cold and I remember some of the people who were there. I don't remember everybody who was there but I can remember at least four or five people that were there aside from my wife and the guy who baptized me but other people that were there and I've had to take moments in my life and stand on that day and go no you're a liar because on that day I publicly declared that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and he was there, and she was there, and she was there, and he was there, and I can phone them right now, and they will remember that day. So you leave me alone. I know I might not be living right, and I might not be getting it all right, but I know that I know that I know, because it is a public act that we do. So that is also some of the power that is in baptism. Third reason for the power in the baptism is because it is obedience. There is power in being obedient to God. Wayne Grudem puts it like this, speaking of baptism, he says, there is the blessing of God's favor that comes with all obedience. There is the blessing of God's favor that comes with all obedience. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying there. I'm not saying God's not going to love you if you are disobedient. I'm not saying, but what we do when we are disobedient is we move ourselves out of God's favor. We pull back from God. We remove ourselves from him. But when we are obedient, we have the blessing of God's favor upon us. 1 Peter 3.19, he makes it clear that it is not the, uh, it's not the water, it's not our act of being saved, uh, you know, it's not the, the act of baptism that saves us, it's Jesus' work on the cross. But in baptism, we publicly display what Jesus did. And by obeying his command to be baptized, we identify with the power, not only of the cross, but of Jesus' resurrection to deliver us both from the penalty and the power of sin over our lives. You see, as we read in Romans chapter 6, that, that our identification with the death of Christ means that our slave nature, that sinful nature, has been put to death. And so we, we all understand and we all get, like, I'm free from the penalty of sin. Like, my sins are washed clean. Jesus no longer holds those against me. But what it does as well is it, it identifies us with the power of the cross and the resurrection, which then says, Jesus is my king. I'm in his kingdom. Therefore, sin, that sinful nature, no longer has power over me. I'm able to say no to sin. So it's not just the penalty of sin. It's the power of sin that we are set free from in those things. It's both. And, and that's what obedience does. Is obedience sets us free from the power of sin. 
We choose to live under the authority of Jesus. So if you are living a spiritually impotent life, perhaps consider obedience. So why is there power? Who can baptize? Who can baptize? Who's allowed to baptize other people? As in all things, we look in the scriptures and we see from the New Testament first, and then we look through all scriptures and we see who has done it, what is the, it is our reference point for practice. And we, we can't simply rely on church as in what it is today, our denomination or whatever practice, and just go, oh, well, that's what it is. We all have a responsibility to go and look at the scriptures and to understand for ourselves, why is this thing done this way? In 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 10, we see that those who've placed their faith for life and salvation in Jesus are referred to a couple of times as a priesthood. We are referred to as a holy priesthood or a royal priesthood. There's no, no classifications or distinctions between any of us. There's no, um, there's no having to live up to a certain standard or being born into a certain family that would make you a priest or not. Peter writes and says that we who believe in Jesus, we are the priesthood of Christ. And what he's doing is he's saying that we are all able, like an Old Testament priest, able to go into the presence of God and able to minister before God and to other people who are far from God. We don't need a mediator. We don't need a person between us and God. Jesus is all we need. We are, because of what Jesus has done, we're able to go into that place. Does that make sense? And so if we are all priests in that way, able to be in the, the priesthood of God, those who believe, those who are saved, part of the church, big C, no classifications or distinctions, then we are all able to baptize. Anybody who is a believer who has been baptized is able to baptize someone else. Scripture places no direct restrictions on who can or can't baptize, except that it must be someone who is saved. So in our practice, the way that we do it in this church is we do it where the church is gathered publicly, um, and for a number of reasons, part of the symbolism of water baptism is being welcomed into the church community, the church with a capital C. And so the church with a small C, that's us as a local church, gathers to testify to that fact and to also to give like a visible welcome to that person. You give them a hug and say welcome. As much as the person being baptized experiences a moment of freedom and joy and excitement and enlightenment, there's also much benefit for us who watch a baptism. Um, you know, when, when we go and we're part of it, we're also encouraged. We're also, man, we're going like, yes, this person has come to a place where they're alive and they've got joy. And that is exciting to see God working in someone else's life. And what is incredible about this morning, and we've got quite a few people who are going to get baptized, but is we, you know, normally you would teach like this on baptism and then go, right, next Sunday we're going to be baptized. But what's happened is we've had people come and say, hey, I want to be baptized, hey, I want to be baptized, hey, I want to... oh, okay, I guess I'm behind the lot here, God, I've got to get into, like, change my preaching series a little bit here. But it's been beautiful to see God doing that in individuals' hearts. Individual people have come and said, hey, I want to be baptized. I see this thing, I read it, I don't know, like, explain it to me, I want that. And so that's what, that's what is exciting for us this morning as the rest of the church who maybe have been baptized or are thinking about it and not baptized yet. You can go, man, it is so awesome to see what God is doing in other people's lives. But it's, you know, there's a great picture when someone is baptized of what baptism can do going forward. It, it's not just the Sunday or the, the moment that it happens, but it's something that happens. Have you ever hugged someone who's just been baptized? If you're not the person baptized, have you ever hugged someone? 
When they come out, of, what happens if you hug someone? If we're going to water baptism, we're going to immerse, they're going to come out, you're going to get wet. And it's such a cool picture of what happens when someone is baptized because they ended up dripping with water. And it's a, we should leave wet footprints in other people's lives. When we hug them, we'd be not necessarily physically baptized, but, you know, I mean, not physically wet at least. We should, we give you towels and stuff. But we should leave those wet marks in other people's lives when we come into contact with them. A life immersed with Christ will leave an impression on those that are around you. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is a picture of us being immersed with Christ. Covered is so identified with him that we're into his death. And that life that lives in that place, when you come into contact with other people, they can't help but going, going away a little bit wet. So let's close with this scripture from Acts chapter 2, 22, verse 6. Ananias gives instruction to Saul and Paul, um, who, Saul who became Paul, Paul recounting it in Acts 22. And he says this, Ananias says this to Paul. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. I thought that was such a cool way to end off. What are you waiting for? Get up, let's be baptized. So won't you stand with me as we close in prayer? God has given us baptism to strengthen and encourage our faith, and it should do it for everyone who's baptized and everyone who sees it. But let's, let's go and be encouraged right now. Um, we're going to get tea and coffee first, and then we're going to move across to Gareth and Sharon's house. It's like a minute and a half, two minutes away. We can drive in convoy out of here if you want to do that. Um, it's literally out the gate, turn right past the circle, and then you'll see the sign for their house on your right-hand side. And uh, we're going to use their pool just because the school pool is having some maintenance done on it, and we don't want to lose you in there. Um, so we're just going to do it in, in uh, Gareth and Sharon's pool. Father God, I thank you that you are so faithful, Lord. You are so faithful to us, God. It is incredible how generous and kind and loving you are to us, God, over and over and over again. And I thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. I thank you for your obedience to death on the cross. I thank you that you were obedient to finish the work the Father gave you and sent you here to earth for, that we can live in the benefit of that, Lord. Free not only from the, the penalty of sin, but free also from the power of sin, God. I thank you, Jesus, that as we identify with your death, we can live too as we come up in newness of life, that we can live in a way that is a resurrected life, immersed in Jesus and affecting all of those around us. I pray this morning, God, for those who are going to be baptized this morning, for those who are taking that bold step, God, that you would encourage them, that you would literally encourage them, Lord. Build courage into them this morning for witnessing for your gospel, Lord. Build courage into them to be brave and to be bold, to go out and to testify of your goodness, Jesus, and of your love. Father, I pray this morning that through these simple acts of obedience, that your kingdom would be advanced in this region, Lord God, that your kingdom would be spread, that we would push back the powers of darkness in this region as we come and we are obedient to your word and to your teaching, Jesus. I thank you that you are faithful and good, Lord God. I thank you that you are true always. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to lead and to guide your people. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.